Good morning. Our message today, uh, as we continue in the book of Romans, is from chapter 2. Romans 2, verses 6 through 10. The book of deeds. Let's turn to Romans 2. We've got two Bibles today, because this is so important. Romans chapter 2, and we'll read that in just a second. Faith in the person of Jesus and the works of Jesus justifies us and causes us to obey in faith. This is sanctification, and it leads to eternal life. There's a phrase, obedience of faith, at both the beginning and the end of the book of Romans. In Romans 1.5, we read that Paul was sent um, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name, for the sake of God's reputation among all the nations. So Paul had received grace and apostleship along with the other apostles to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, flip to Romans 16.26. I promised we'd be in Romans 2. We will get back there. Romans 16.26. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Romans begins and ends with the obedience of faith. That's because this is what Romans is about from beginning to end. Obedience that comes from faith. Obedience proves faith. It is the outward evidence of an inward reality. I want to read Romans 2, verses 1 through 16 in the New Living Translation, which I like very much. And then we'll come back and we'll zero in on just verses 6 through 10. Romans chapter 2. You may be saying, what terrible people you have been talking about. Remember, chapter 1, verses 18 through the end was all about the sins of the Gentiles. Now this is all about the sins of the Jews. What terrible people you have been talking about, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and not judge you when you do them too? Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been 
in giving you time to turn from your sin. But no, you won't listen. So you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. For there is going to come a day of judgment when God, the just judge of all the world, will judge all people according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who persist in doing what is good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and practice evil deeds. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on sinning, for the Jew first and also the Gentile, for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. God will punish the Gentiles when they sin, even though they never had God's written law. And he will punish the Jews when they sin, for they do have the law. For it is not merely knowing the law, think, going to church. For it is not merely knowing the law that brings God's approval. Those who obey the law will be declared right in God's sight. Period. Even when Gentiles who do not have God's written law instinctively follow what the law says, they show in their hearts that they know right from wrong. They demonstrate that God's law is written within them, for their own consciences either accuse them or tell them they are doing what is right. The day will surely come when God, by Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. This is my message. Amen. And then Romans chapter 2, verse, verses 6 through 10, our text for today. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So the Jews might go to heaven first, and then the Gentiles. The Jews might go to hell first, and this, then the Gentiles. But everyone is judged by the same standard. This analysis of this passage will be very similar to that of John Piper in his sermons through, through the book of Romans, because it was greatly inspired by his sermons. Now here we have five verses, verses 6 through 10 that can determine our eternal destiny. How we read these five verses can determine our eternal destiny. There are many preachers and many congregations and many books who teach that this passage means something entirely different than what I am about to say. 
underneath the surface of this text are sinkholes that you can fall into and die, and buried treasures that can give you eternal reward. Let's tread carefully as we look at this difficult passage and ask of it some hard questions, because it seems like this says we are judged based on what we do. Does that sound like the gospel of faith in Christ to you? We'll see. It would be much easier to believe that God's grace is so big that I can get away with anything. So which is it? How you answer that may determine whether you come under the wrath of God or whether you enter into eternal life and eternal peace. Let's be very careful as we tread over this text because heaven and hell are underneath it. And how you read this text may determine to which you will go. We've said already that the theme of Romans is the righteousness of God that is, in, that is embodied in obedience, the obedience of faith. That is the righteousness that comes from God and is on the basis of faith, Philippians 3.9. So what is at stake here in this passage? This says we'll be judged by our deeds. Let's first talk about what's not at stake. What's not at stake here is whether or not justification is by faith. Turn to Romans 3.28. For we hold that no one is justified, for we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Right? Romans 3.28. Romans 4.5. Romans 4.5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Amen. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 8, verse 33. Romans 8.33 who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What does elect mean? Give me a synonym. Shout it out. Chosen. Chosen. Okay. So in Spanish, elegir is to choose. I probably can't pronounce it right. It comes from the same root. They mean the same thing, to elect, to choose, right? So when you elect a leader, if you're in a, an election where the process works well, let's say, um, then you're choosing a leader, right? Um, if, you, if God elects you, if God has elected you, God picked you. That's the doctrine we stand on. God picked you. Almost every day, 
I think about the implications of that, that God picked me. Just meditating on that completely changed my whole life. If you heard Josiah's message this morning, thank you for that, Josiah. Um, this was like the number one thing I just meditated on. God chose me for years. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The answer is no one. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? The answer is no one. Christ Jesus is the one who died for us instead of us. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, was, and will be interceding for us. Amen. Justification is by faith alone. We know that we are justified by faith apart from works. That is solid ground. That is a firm foundation. There is no other foundation for a Christian to stand on. Nothing else will uphold you. So, back to Romans 2, 6 through 10. What is Romans 2, 6 through 10 talking about then? It said, I'm going to be judged by my deeds. Jews are going to be judged by their deeds. Gentiles are going to be judged by their deeds. There's nobody outside that category. That's us. That's every one of us. So what does it mean? There are about two possible ways to understand these verses. Let's read just verse 7. It said in 6, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So well-doing, seeking, those who do that, to, to them he will give eternal life. Okay, so either verse 7 is hypothetical. So while sinners are judged for their evil deeds, we have to depend entirely on Jesus' righteous deeds to save us. We'll really be judged by Jesus' deeds, not our own. Do you think that's what it means? Let me read it in the conditional tense. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who, if they could have patience in well-doing, would seek for glory and honor and immortality, he would give eternal life. But they can't. Nobody's that good. Nobody can do that. So fall back on Jesus and the works of Jesus, and his work is the only work you can stand on have faith in him. Does it mean that? Sounds good. Verse 7 says that there is a judgment according to works. The other interpretation of this verse could be that verse 7 says that there is a judgment according to works, but it is not on the basis of works. It's according to works. It lines up with works. It's consistent with works, but it's not on the basis of works. I believe this, and here are at least six reasons why. Number one, 
verse 7 is straightforward. It says, flat out, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. It's very clear. It's hard to read that in the conditional tense. We would have to be, I'm arguing, reading a lot into that. It just flat out says it. I think we should take it as it says. It's straightforward. Number two, this verse is tucked into the context of the rest of the book of Romans, especially chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, which say, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? God is kind. He wants to lead you to repentance. God's heart for you is not waiting for your bad deeds to pile up so he can be just in judging you. That was never God's heart for you. God's heart for you has always been waiting for you patiently because his heart towards you is kind. He's waiting for you to come to your senses like the prodigal son and, and turn your face to him and find that his face is already turned towards you. His affections are towards you and your affections warm to him, and you begin to have faith in who he is. You begin to have faith in his kindness and good intentions for you, and that transforms my behavior. It's the obedience that comes from faith. That's what this verse is saying. We understand that by the context of the book of Romans. Look at how Romans starts out. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That's like a wonderful greeting. That's like, that's like a surprise party. That's like everybody who knows you, loves you, and they're running up to you to greet you with like the best greeting, like grace to you, peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you're loved by God. You're called to be, you know, to make too many mistakes and then be judged. No, you're called to be a saint. That's your calling. God's calling is a powerful calling, and he is able to bring it to pass. This is the context in which we find these verses. The kindness of God, the patience of God, the love of God. God is kind and is, even now, urging us to repent and our transgressions, our evil deeds, would be blotted out. That's what this verse means. Next reason, Romans 6.22 is like verse, chapter 2, verse 7. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get, think the deeds you get, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Read this really carefully. Have we got that one on the screen? Oh, good. But now that you have been set free from sin, that's justification, and have become slaves of God, now, 
You're a bond slave. That's what being a Christian means. That's identity. So you're justified. You have a new identity. It's a gift. It's given. It came by faith, not by measuring up in any sense. He gave it to you. And you had faith in his ability to give you that and to accomplish this. We've become, I'm going to read, bond slaves of God. The fruit we get from that inward reality leads to sanctification. And the end of that road, of going down that road or bearing that fruit, is eternal life. So, There is a judgment according to works. It lines up with our works. It's not on the basis of our works. It's on the basis of faith in Christ. We said Romans 6.22 looks like 2.7. We had justification by faith, being set free from sin, new identity, becoming bond slaves of God. The fruit we get from that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Comparing that to 2 verse 7, the structure is alike. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. It sounds the same, doesn't it? It's the same progression. There really is a judgment according to deeds, is what Romans 2, 6 through 10 is saying. When the book of deeds is opened, what will it say that you did. When the book of life is opened, will your name be found written in it? Eternal life is the outcome of sanctification. If sanctification is entirely missing, eternal life is missing. That's what this passage says. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Next reason. I believe this says there is a judgment according to deeds, but not on the basis of deeds. Look at chapter 8, verse 12. Romans 8, 12. 12 and 13. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh that part of me that wants to do what I want, that wants to do me. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's deeds and life connected. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Why does it say sons? Why does it say boys here, not boys and girls? Is this a like male exclusive thing? It's actually the opposite of that. In the society, who inherited property? Who had the greater rights? It was the sons, right? The first. What's that? The first. Yeah, and especially the first son, right? Got the, got the double portion, right? 
This is counting everybody as having high rights and full inheritance. That's what this is saying. This is better than feminism. This is saying all of the rights, all of the inheritance, equal status, equal value, is all going to everybody. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In our society, we, would, we could say sons and daughters because that makes more sense to us, but that's why it words it this way. With God, there's no partiality. This passage here, Romans 8, 12 through 13, is not talking about the body dying. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's not talking about your body dying because we know that your body dies whether you live according to the Spirit or according to the flesh. So Romans 8, 12 through 13 is talking about something greater. It's talking about eternal life. It's talking about eternal death. This is about your lifestyle. What kind of lifestyle are you living? Next reason. So it has to do with deeds. It accords with our deeds, but it's not on the basis of our deeds. Next reason, turn to Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Verses 8 and 9. For the one who sows to his own flesh from, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That means if you follow the desires of you, regardless of what they are, you will reap that fruit will grow, mature, ripen, and it will prove to be poison. If you sow to or you listen to the voice of Jesus and you, you do the deeds that you see Jesus doing, you, you copy him, you prove by your fruit that you are a son, a daughter of God. That fruit ripens and it's life-giving fruit. It becomes for you a tree of life because it shows that you are grounded in Christ who is the root of life and who is himself the tree of life. Eternal life is reaped by sowing to the spirit and not to the flesh. Why else would Paul say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? You remember those words? If you grew up in like a super grace-based church, um, there's this term antinomian. It means you're not too much into following the law, but you, you really emphasize the grace of God, and you're kind of all about grace, and that's good, but you have to be all about grace while still being all about holiness. You can't, you can't let go of either one. Well, um, I had kind of adopted this idea that I could let go of the one, and this one was enough. And Romans 2, 6 through 10 says that it's not. It, 
that I had to have the deeds that accord with the, uh, I had to have the obedience that accorded with faith. Not on the basis of faith, not on the basis of deeds, but on the basis of faith. Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why did he say that? Because eternity is connected with your actions, not just with words. James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, meaning without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. People in churches around the world are saying something different in our day and age. They're saying that your eternal destiny hangs on only one decision, the decision you made when you answered the altar call. But this says that we're justified by faith alone and judged by our deeds. There are two roads. There is the road of hope in Christ, accompanied by good deeds, and that path leads to eternal life. There is the road of obeying unrighteousness and being self-seeking, and that path leads to the wrath of God being applied to you with nothing to save you. Our deeds, whether obedience to righteousness or obedience to unrighteousness, are recorded in God's books, and there will be a final judgment. Do you remember in our study of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7? Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, we see our judge. A stream of fire issued forth and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. What are those books? The book of deeds by which we are judged, and the book of life which contains the names of those who are saved from the wrath of God by the sacrifice of the Son of God for sinners who have become saints and bondservants of Christ Jesus who bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Their lives show evidence. Is it perfect evidence? No. Is it evidence? Yes, it is evident when you, when you know them because it says in Matthew 7, 16, you will know them by their fruits. And then in verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. There is another book, the book of life. Revelation chapter 20 Verses 11 through 13. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. This is the same as what was seen in Daniel 7. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Some people will be judged for their evil deeds. Revelation 21.8, a rather terrifying verse, but we'll read the verse before it in a moment. <clears throat> Revelation 21.8, but as for the cowardly, the, that has been me, the faithless, that has been me, the detestable, amen, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, the scripture says, all men are liars. And that doesn't exclude women. Nice try. <laughs> Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Some people will be rewarded for our righteous deeds. Because, why? Because we're oh so righteous. No, because we are thirsty for God. Read Revelation 21.7. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This can't be bought by being good enough. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Think sons and daughters, Jews, Gentiles, there's no distinction. God shows no partiality. Everybody gets the full inheritance. John chapter 15, verses 5 through 11, parallels our text in Romans 2 today. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me lives, remains, continues. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so that you bear good deeds, that you bear much fruit, and so prove your identity that I have given you on the basis of faith. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, there's that context of our passage in Romans again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, here's more context. This is God's will for you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Your entrance into glory will not be earned or based on how much good you do. Your entrance into glory is based on faith in Jesus' ability to save you. That is what justifies you. When we are justified, God declares us to be righteous. That's justification. God declares us to be righteous. And when God speaks it, it will surely come to pass. When you are justified, when we are justified, God declares us to be righteous. And that righteousness is based on the righteousness of Christ not on any of our own. And those who have faith in Christ will begin to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Those who love darkness and lies will be cut off like branches. What will happen to those branches? So what are we to do, we who struggle with sin? We confess our sins to Christ and trust him to forgive us our sins. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Trust him to empower you to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We have two points of application, and we'll close with these. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <coughs> Philippians 2.12. If your lifestyle does not show evidence that your hope is in Jesus and that you are thirsty for him and that you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you are already on the path to the eternal wrath of God. If you have prayed a sinner's prayer, but your lifestyle shows no evidence that you are a bondservant of Jesus Christ, then 
when the books are opened, you will be judged by your deeds. I fear that there may even be those among us who hope for heaven, but have not and do not now hope for God. Those who hope for heaven, but have not and do not hope for God. It's okay to hope greatly and long for heaven. If you hope for heaven, but you have not and do not have hope for God, you will have neither heaven nor God. If that is you today, you will not inherit eternal life. You are on a road that leads to wrath. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Therefore, brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For, it is, for if you practice these qualities, go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 to see what those are. If you practice these qualities, if you do those, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number two, write this down if you're taking notes. Trust Christ to get you to God. Trust Christ to get you to God. When we talk about God judging us by our works, I doubt very much that any one of us in this congregation will have more good deeds than bad deeds. That is not what Romans chapter 2 is talking about, is it? You all know that. Remember the thief on the cross? Jesus said that he would be with him in paradise. But for which of his deeds would he be judged when his entire life up until that hour was evil? The following two quotes are from John Piper on desiringgod.org, who says, Then God will open the books. First, he will use the lifelong record of sin to glorify his son's supreme sacrifice. And second, God will read that last page where the thief's dramatic transformation on the cross is recorded. This work of God in his life recorded in the books about that last day will be the public confirmation of the thief's faith and union with Christ. And Christ will be the basis of his salvation, not his works. I mean that there will be recorded there the kind of life in Christ that shows the reality of faith, the reality of regeneration and union with Christ. That is how we enter each day as a Christian, confident 
that our condemnation is past. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that our name is in the book of life. And that the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Trust Christ to get you to God. Some people say they believe that, but they only want the benefits of God, forgiveness and escape from hell. That won't work. Trusting Christ is trusting God. Do you want God? Not forgiveness alone, not escape from hell alone. Do you want God? If so, you will have him if you trust Christ to get you to God. Trust in Christ to enable you to do the works you have to do to get to God. So when you face a temptation, you don't think, oh, I've got to earn my salvation. You think, my only hope is Jesus. Come, Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me. Empower me. Break the chains of this thing off my life. You are my only hope. That's the way you live the Christian life. Let's pray. And as we pray, will the servers of communion please come forward and wait. Let us pray. O righteous Father, who has predestined us to the obedience of faith and whose sanctifying work will be completed because it's your work, not ours, and yet, with a little bit of mystery, we are participating in that work by doing what we see you doing because you are empowering us to do it. For yours is the power and the glory in the church both now and forever. Oh God, empower us to walk on the path that leads to life. Amen.